0: Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. My name is Chad.
1: And I'm Furiosa.
0: And we are here today in our bonus cast to talk about...
1: The Dragonlance Chronicles, Dragons of Autumn Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman.
0: That's right. So this is a fun chapter that Lady Furiosa and I are both reading uh, this trilogy together. It is called The trilogy is called The Dragonlance Chronicles. And the first novel is Dragons of Autumn Twilight, as we mentioned. And we are going through and reading this together. And when we kind of get caught up, we're going to sit down and just do a short little podcast about what we liked, what we didn't like, and sort of, uh, you know, just enjoy it together uh, as a family. So... Why did we choose this novel? Why did we choose this set of books?
1: Well, I didn't really choose it, but I had nothing to read, and I like D and D, Dungeons and Dragons, and so my brother gave me the book, and my dad had already read the book, but he wanted to read again because he was like he wanted to catch up, and plus I read it faster than him.
0: That's true. Yeah, you did read faster than me. So even my eleven year old reads faster than I do. So what we're going to talk about today is we're going to give a little bit of the history of Dragonlance and the Dragonlance Chronicles and the authors and their relationship to Dungeons and Dragons. Then Furiosa will insert some fun facts for us, things that we can talk about, cool stuff. Then we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the characters. Favorites
1: and least favorites. And mm -hmm. then my predictions, because I have not read the second book.
0: Yeah, we'll give a short synopsis of what the storyline is about.
1: Why do you call it a synopsis? I'm
0: sorry. I'm just, I'm used to my big people words. We'll we'll give a short summary of what the story is about. We'll talk about our favorite parts, maybe parts we didn't like as much. Then we'll do predictions. Uh, and then we'll talk about what's next in our uh, Dragonlance Chronicles coverage. Okay. So I learned some cool stuff about this series, some of which were things that I kind of knew, and some of which were things I didn't really know when I was doing a little bit of research this morning to talk about this podcast. So my history with this book is that I started reading these when I was about 14 or 15 years old. They had come out in, so the books came out in 1984, this is when they were first published, I would have been nine at the time, so they are a few years old, I think the third Novel had been written by the time I started reading them. So the trilogy was completed. I read these. It was probably the it's probably the third fantasy series that I read. I read The Lord of the Rings. I read the Crystal Cave series by Mar- uh, Mary Stewart, and then I read these. So it was pretty early in my reading career. And what fascinated me about them is I was really into Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Um, I'm. Well, I started reading them, like, a couple weeks, this book a couple weeks ago, because I have nothing to read at night, and, but I've already read a lot of fantasy, like, Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, and a bunch of, like, just random fantasy things that I like, so. What's your favorite
0: fantasy series?
1: I don't have a favorite.
0: You don't have it? Not, it's not Wings of Fire?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome because it's dragons. But I also really like Harry Potter. I don't have a favorite. I don't know. I like them all equally. I'm
0: very curious to know how you will We'll talk about this later. But I'm curious to know how you would compare this to Wings of Fire and Percy Jackson. So we can talk about that later. You can take some time to think about that.
1: Um, but I like Dungeons and Dragons because, well, my dad... He's been a dungeon master, and so has my brother, but I don't really think I would be good at that because I'm not really good at thinking of scenarios. I sort of am, but, like, it depends. But I like playing characters because I like acting like them because I like to act, and I like, like... I like pretending I'm them and doing, like, what they would do and, like, being them because I feel like they're cool and I want to be like that.
0: I think you do a really good job of doing that. When we play Dungeons & Dragons, I think you do a great job of behaving and acting like the character and doing things the character would do, which a lot of people a lot older than you still struggle with. So I I think you do quite well at that. So cool fact about this book series is these were the first novels written by... TSR. TSR was the name of the company uh, that published Dungeons & Dragons back in the day. So this was the first set of novels that they published. So these are sort of the first official Dungeons & Dragons novels. Now, I don't think I realized that at the time when I started reading them. What I also didn't realize until I started reading this morning is that from about 1985, so right, right after this book came out, until the early 2000s, TSR was the number one publisher of fantasy books in America. They produced more fantasy novels than anybody else. I also didn't realize that there are over 100 novels set in the Dragonlance universe. I thought it was nine. I read nine of them. (laughs) I thought I read them all. I read one. So the other thing is this is, um, so Dragonlance is one of the Persistent Worlds, the campaign settings that's a part of Dungeons & Dragons. It started, the first published campaign setting was one called Greyhawk, which was sort of the original published campaign setting. And then after that was Dragonlance, the first sort of non-Greyhawk major initiative that they made. There were some other ones kind of sprinkled in there that didn't do very well, but but these were the first two major ones. And then after this became came Forgotten Realms... And Forgotten Realms became the biggest and sort of the official Dungeons & Dragons campaign world. Um, but this one predates it. cool thing about Dragonlance, there's a lot of dragons.
1: Yeah, and I like dragons because I've always liked dragons, but my one of my friends, um, she introduced me to the Wings of Fire series, and I fell in love with it. So I've just... Ever since then, I've loved dragons so much.
0: Well, there are plenty of dragons in this series. We've already, even in our first sort of part here, gotten a little bit of a sampling of it. So what we read, I probably should have put this earlier in the podcast, but what we read is we read part one of the first novel. There are two parts. There's a part one, part two of Dragons of Autumn Twilight. We read through the end of part one. So that's all we're going to cover.
1: Because I thought, I thought it was the first book, because in my book, it says book two, when actually it's part two of book one.
0: Yeah, it's a little confusing. So, yeah. A little on the confusing side, for sure. So let's talk about the characters. you want to give us uh, the list of the main characters?
1: First, we meet the character Flint, who is a dwarf. Then we meet Tannis, who is a half-elf. We then meet Caramon, who is like a warrior. Then we meet his brother Racelin, who's a sorcerer wizard kind of person. We then meet Sturm, and then Tasselhoff, who is a kender. We then meet we then meet Riverwind, who is a barbarian, and Goldmoon, who is the bearer of the blue staff.
0: The Crystal Blue Staff, exactly. Blue staff. So let's talk a little bit about each of the characters. So we'll go back through them kind of in the order that we meet them. We'll give just a little bit of more detail on kind of who they are uh, and what they're about. So Flint, Flint Fireforge is, like you said, he's a dwarf. He's a dwarven warrior. He carries a battle axe. This is very kind of, again, first official Dungeons & Dragons novel. So they're sort of setting the stereotypes and the archetypes for a lot of things that you see that come later. So he is a dwarven warrior, carries a battle axe and a shield. He's got he literally has a helmet with horns on it. It's it's very straightforward dwarf.
1: Then we meet Tannis, who is a half elf, and I kind of feel bad for all half elves because they are a mix of humans and elves. So when they are raised by elves they get human names to like so they can be reminded they don't belong there. Mm -hmm. And if they're raised by humans they get elf names once again to be reminded that they don't belong there. They are not humans nor elves.
0: So they just kind of don't fit in anywhere they go, right? And now what do we know about Tannis? What is Tannis good at?
1: Um well he's more he's kinda like the leader of the group. He's like good at taking charge. He like it knows plans. He's more of like the mature one. And he like keeps everyone in order.
0: He's also a ranger.
1: Yeah, he's a ranger. So he's good at like bows, sword, like.
0: He's good at tracking. Tra- like tracking and, and
1: like all kinds of weapons.
0: Knows animals fairly well. Yeah, he's not your, where Flint is gonna, you know, stand behind his shield. You know, and Caraman, who we'll talk about later, is gonna stand there and fight toe to toe. Tannis, although he's a warrior and he can do that, he's more likely to kind of duck to the side and use his bow. So as you said, after after meeting uh, Tannis and Flint, we meet, the, um, we meet the brothers. The twins. The twins. Caramon
1: uh, and Racelin.
0: Ironically named because although they are twins, they do not look or act anything alike.
1: Yes, Caramon is a... Big kind of like a big guy. He's a big soldier, warrior.
0: Yeah, he's he's and, stated that he's like the biggest person you've ever seen. He's enormous.
1: Yeah. Racelin is a tiny, like really thin, um, mage, like magi, magic person, like sorcerer. He's like really small and thin. Karamon, I I really do feel bad for Karamon because Raclin is so mean to him.
0: He's not very nice to his he's brother. He's not. He's yeah. like.
1: He calls him names, he says he's like useless and he's just like a big warrior and like calls him dumb and stuff. It's he Rastlin is kind of mean. Race all of the other characters think he's evil.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit because um, Rastlin He
1: kind of is, like a bit. Because he took this trial to become a greater sorcerer. Um I don't think we have been told yet what he's done.
0: No, it actually, it happens in a different set of novels. There's a set of novels that take place before this where we get all the details of it.
1: So we've not been yet. I don't know. I feel like my dad knows probably, but I do not know what he did, but he's just, he's changed. Okay. Also, all of the characters, they were like, they've been a group before. Like they all know each other and they were on a quest. And they split up for, like, five years or something. Yep. A -hmm. good five years. And this is, like, them all meeting back together.
0: Yeah, they agreed on a date that they were all going to meet back together. I don't remember what they... You know, other than getting back together and, and reuniting, I don't remember... There was any other purpose to it other than they were going to get together and, and be friends. A lot of family, they grew up together. They're kind of coming back to the same town that they grew up in. We're getting too much into the plot, so I don't want to keep going down that road too much. But I do want to talk a little bit more about Raceland because Raiceland, um, where everybody else is sort of like blatantly good, or He's at least trying to be good. Neutral. Correct. Yeah. Good, good because, description. Yeah. He's not evil.
1: He's not evil. He's definitely not evil. Um, but he's more on the neutral side. With everyone else, though like lawful good, as we call it in D&D. He's more of just, he's more like neutral.
0: Yeah, he's def he's definitely not a clear-cut good guy, and he's definitely not a clear-cut bad guy. He wears red robes, which I feel like the color of the robes is meant to indicate something to us. Tell us a little bit more about his appearance, because he does not look normal.
1: Um... His skin is golden. He was normal before the trials. Once they meet him again after the trials, he has golden skin, yellow eyes. He's super duper thin, like really thin and small and frail.
0: And he's always constantly sick. sick.
1: He's always sick and like weak, and he will he doesn't eat a lot.
0: Yeah. So, so kind of concerning. I, I think. Well, we'll talk about our favorites. So let let's move on. We've talked about the twins. So now we have uh, the next two that we have are Sturm and Tasselhoff Burfoot. So. so let's let's talk about them. So what do we know about Sturm?
1: Um Sturm is a knight. Well, okay.
0: He's Sturm Brightblade.
1: Sturm Brightblade. His dad died.
0: They believe so, yeah.
1: They believe so. We don't know. Um he left him just like the set of Omo. He's a knight of Salamnia,
0: which sounds like they make a mean cold cut.
1: Um, so he's like by knight's order. He's like all knightly and like gentlemanly.
0: Yeah, he's a clear-cut kind of paladin, lawful good. You know, abides by all the sort of rules and and you know, straight down to his giant mustache. He's very like. A gentleman. He's very much a typical, like I am a knight, and that's kind of his defining characteristic.
1: Tasselhoff is a kender. Um, basically, kenders are like childish. They're basically like, they're like yeah, Ken- of-
0: yeah, yeah. Let's. I mean, kenders are a race that is unique to Dragonlands. They're not like elves or dwarves. They they don't exist anywhere else.
1: They're just. Dragonlance.
0: Yep, so this is a new, a whole separate race of, of people.
1: They're childlike, but not like they're not like a baby though. But like they're kind of childlike. They like to adventure. I like they're always adventuring and like off doing something silly. Just always excited. Like mm-hmm. um, they've said, you'll never, f- you almost will never find a sad kender. Like they're always. Upbeat, happy excited that is why i love tasselhoff
0: yeah the other defining characteristic of kenders and tasselhoff as a you know as well is they lack fear
1: yeah they're not they don't have fear they don't have fear they're, they're not afraid
0: they're incapable of being afraid of things
1: yeah they can't be afraid like you'll never ever find a scared kender they're always like they always just like if there's a big dragon, there could literally be the biggest dragon ever and a tiny Kender who will probably die. The Kender could be like, yeah, dragon, let's go fight the dragon. They're not going to be scared at all. Like,
0: Which isn't always a good thing.
1: Yeah. Like sometimes it's good because like, you don't want to be always scared. But sometimes you kind of have to be scared to live. Exactly. So they kind of all have to control him.
0: So those are the six of the original characters and there's one there's one seventh character that who was supposed to be there
1: but did who not, did not who
0: did not make it do you remember who that is
1: is it or
0: it's uh so that character is named kittyara kittyara and do you know what her relationship is
1: her and tanis love each other
0: yes but there's another there's another part of the relationship as well do you know what it is
1: Yeah, she's Karaman and Raeslyn's sister.
0: I believe older sister.
1: Yeah, she's older than them, both. Yeah.
0: So that's, that's the relationship there. She does not make it back to the reunion.
1: Um, it's because apparently she's, like, bound to someone else. Like...
0: Yeah, she's apparently serving some lord.
1: She's serving another lord, so she couldn't make it. She sent them a note saying that she wishes that she could be there. But she's serving another lord, um... And she all,
0: just can't make
1: it. She just can't make it. And Tannis is like super sad because he mm-hmm. loves her. They like, yeah.
0: So those are the original seven companions, six of whom are there. But then we meet two newcomers.
1: We meet, um, they're both barbarians that Sturm brings in because they were just like out there. There is the male barbarian, Riverwind, mm-hmm. who um, is kind of like, a lover of Goldmoon, who we're going to introduce later. They like, they love each other, but they can't because gold moon is chieftain's daughter. Um, and Riverwind's kind of like an outside, like an outsider. Yeah. he. Of.
0: So yeah, we don't know too much of the details other than he was apparently way too low class for the chieftain to allow him to marry gold moon.
1: And so he went on an adventure um, well, he was talking about these other gods that they didn't believe in. And so chieftain, the chieftain said, okay, bring me back something of these gods. And so Riverwind set out to bring him back something of the gods so he could marry, um, Goldmoon. And so he went on this epic journey and he did complete it. And he brought back the crystal blue staff, which we are going to get more into later.
0: Yeah, and that basically sets up the whole adventure.
1: Yes, this is like this is the beginning of the whole adventure. Um the crystal blue staff, which as there is this person who is looking for the crystal blue staff, the like kind of like higher ruler, I guess, of Solus mm-hmm. now. Um And so basically Riverwind brings the staff back to the chieftain And it's like a magic kind of healing staff.
0: Yeah, which by the way, the Chieftain thought he was sending him on a fool's errand or a suicide mission. He thought there was no way he would actually come back with anything.
1: But he did come back with it. um, But the staff only goes for like the worthy, I guess, kind of. Um, And so Riverwind was worthy. So when he got the staff, it was magic for him. But he brought it back to Chieftain and I guess Chieftain was not worthy of it. So it did nothing for the Chieftain. And the Chieftain got mad at Riverwind that he actually survived this and brought him back like something like just a staff, like a wooden staff. Because that's what it kind of looks like until it is magic. And so he commends Riverwind to death by stoning. And then Goldmoon is like, no, and comes in. And then they run away and come here. Um, now, Gold Moon is, like I said before, the lover of Riverwind, kind of. Mm-hmm. They like love each other. Um, she is Chieftain's daughter and she is the bearer of the Blue Crystal Staff.
0: What other characteristics do we know about Gold Moon or learn about Gold Moon in this first part?
1: She's really brave and she's like really beautiful, as they say. She's like beautiful um, and. Got a beautiful singing voice.
0: She's also used to being in charge.
1: Yeah, she's always like a strong leader.
0: She's used to being obeyed. So she has a a tendency to boss people around because growing up as the chieftain's Mm -hmm. daughter, she said stuff and people did it. So those are the major characters. Uh, There is one other character that Furiosa would like to bring up who is important to the story. In a different way. He's not one of the companions, but...
1: Yeah, um, there's this old man there who is just there, I guess. I don't know why. But he asks Goldmoon to sing um, her song. And she does, and it's about her and Riverwind and, like, the blue staff. Um, And then they're, like, these guys, like, the rulers kind of, like head people of Solus, they come in, they're like mad. Um and Ta and Gold Moon like drops the staff or something and Tasselhoff picks up the staff and the old man says hit the high guy, like the higher guy, like the big the high, guy. Yeah, the, the town mayor Solus, or
0: whatever he is. Yeah. Um
1: with the staff. And so Tasselhoff, he does it. He hits him in this with the staff. The guy tumbles over into the fire. Um, and they pull him out of the fire, um, and then the companions are gonna, like, a bunch of people come in to, like, kill them, arrest them, something, and so, um, and so Tika Whalen, their friend, who works at the hotel, which is...
0: It's called the Inn of the Last Home.
1: The Inn of the Last Home. She's their friend, and so she helps them escape, and they go to her house, but these goblins come... And they kind of, like, come in because they're searching for them. And so they find them, The they, like, kill the goblins, but then they go to escape.
0: So the last character that we want to talk about, who we don't get to see a lot of in this section, but will become more important later, is Tika Whalen. Tika Whalen is, like you said, she's the barmaid in the beginning of this. Um, and she's, you know, kind of running the floor at the end of The Last Home. Um, and and she's friends with everybody who's sort of in the companions. We don't get a lot from her now, but she will become more important later. So let's talk about who are your favorite characters.
1: My favorite character, as I kind of have made it obvious out there when we were <laughs> explaining the characters, yeah. is Tasselhoff because I feel like I don't know he's just awesome. He's always like. I feel like he just lights up the story because he's always like excited and out there. And I feel like he's like me kind of. So I just love him. And like, yeah, I have like a whole list of my favorite characters and least favorites. I
0: will right, we'll put them in order then. Okay. So
1: <laughs> In order, I have made an ordered list of my favorite characters and why. Um, but I'll just say the characters. Um, my favorite character is Tasselhoff. Like I've stated, um, my second favorite character is Caramon, because I love Caramon. He's just like, I love him. I don't know why. Um, and then third favorite character, this might surprise a lot of you, but it's Wasteland because I feel like he definitely, you get to know more of him and he gets like, you get more into him more during the end of the book. And I just like really like, he's just cool. Yep. Um, my third favorite character is Tarn- Tannis. Cause he's just like kind of the leader of the group. We like really like we really get to know him. He's kind of like one of the main main characters. Like we really get into him, and it's like all kind of like in his mind, sort of like it's kind of like we yeah get he, drop into his mind a lot. Yeah,
0: he's. I think he is meant to be. When they started writing this book, I think the thought was that Tannis was going to be the main character. Yeah, the
1: main main character.
0: Yep.
1: Um, my my next favorite. Okay, well, this is actually probably one of my more favorites, but we don't really know this character a lot. But this is probably one of my second favorite characters is Poo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because um, we'll get into her more. She's, we meet her more during the end-ish kind of of the book, but she's a gully dwarf, and she's kind of just, she's awesome, which we'll get into that later, I feel like. Um, but then I like Sturm. Well, I, no, not Sturm. I, I like Moon because she's just, yeah. Um, and then Riverwind. Mm-hmm. Then, well, Riverwind is kind of like mean and like outside. Like he doesn't like the rest of the characters in the beginning. But then he definitely really gets closer to the characters. And he little and he says, um, I would do anything for you guys. Like mm-hmm. you are friends. Um, then I like Sturm. Well, I don't really like him. This is like more of my least favorites. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know why I don't really like them that much, but I like Sturm and then Flint because I feel like they're not like super in the book, like really.
0: Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Also, they're pretty. They're pretty one-dimensional. Yeah, like Flint is a grumpy old like, dwarf.
1: You like know, he's he doesn't have like really anything exciting to him, mm-hmm. um, and he kind of like slows the characters down a lot yeah like the characters would definitely be much better without him also i don't like him because he doesn't like boo boo because he thinks all gully dwarfs are bad because he got captured by them
0: he is blatantly racist against gully dwarfs
1: yeah um and that's like really like the gully dwarfs are kind of like like I feel like none of the other dwarfs like them. They're all like all of the dwarfs are basically racist to them.
0: Yeah, like, Gully Dwarves are the kind of dwarfs that live at the trailer park by the swamp.
1: Yeah, um, and then I don't really like Sturm. He's like one dimensional. Like he said, he's just like a basic knight. Yeah, kind of like
0: he gets better.
1: He get he does get better, but I feel like
0: I mean, he gets better in the future books.
1: Well, even in the end of the book too, because yeah. he's like, um, but they're not like. I don't hate them. Like I don't not like them, but they're just not my favorites.
0: No, agreed. I understand that. I'm not going to rank mine, uh, but I will tell you that Raceland is my favorite character.
1: Yeah, that's what I was like. I was think that you wouldn't like him that much because he's like you said, like he's not good. Um, But yeah, Raceland is definitely up there on mine. He's like, I do like Raceland a lot.
0: Yeah, he's Raceland's definitely my favorite character for sure. All right, so let's let's give a, a short summary of the plot how few words can you give the plot summary in
1: they go they have the blue crystal staff people bad people are looking for the blue crystal staff these people that are dragon people are looking for the blue crystal staff so they go to like save the world kind of um, because they go into like this evil forest, and then a unicorn tells them, "Okay, I'm gonna have the these. My Pegasus, I come and help you, and you need to go to this place, Zach. Uh,
0: Zach Zaroff.
1: Zach Saroff, Um In two days, you have to be there in two days and get this gift before these Draconians do. And then they go, and there's a dragon, and they fight the dragon. And I don't want to say if they. Can I say it?
0: Yeah, you can." You they could, kill the
1: dragon yeah. um and mm. then goldmoon dies by what cuz she helped kill the dragon she mm. dies i actually don't know if she dies cuz they said she dies but that's in like the character's point of view they don't know if she died she just like kind of disappeared
0: so she did die and she was resurrected in the temple when they returned to the temple So one of the, that's a good, that's a good summary. So um, I think you did a good job of.
1: And then Solis burns.
0: And yeah, at the very end. So yeah, so we start in the town of Solis where they all grew up. The people are looking for this blue crystal staff. Nobody knows why, but all of a sudden these crazy draconian monsters show up for no reason. Nobody's ever seen them before. Uh, there are armies that are building in the north and nobody knows why, but they're all looking for this blue crystal staff, so they got to get out of Dodge. Like you said, you they, find, they go into a forest that's supposed to be filled with the undead. And, and instead, no one
1: comes out undead and they find a unicorn.
0: Instead, they find centaurs and a unicorn. Pegasi. Yeah, and Pegasi, who tell them that they have to go find um, these discs buried in this ancient city, Zaxaroth, and when they get to the ancient city, it's filled with draconians and a huge black dragon.
1: <laughs> um, well, they do say, Raiceland says that it would have been much worse for them in Dokenwood, the evil wood that I was talking about, um, but they stayed on the path And they kind of did what Mason said, Um, and also Sturm. He like the reason that they went in there is because Sturm found like it was like a kind of ghost, like glowing
0: stag, stag, yeah, um, Mm. deer.
1: And so they followed that, and they got to the unicorn.
0: I mean, that is that is almost exactly like what happens in Harry Potter, except this was written. Much you know, before. 20 years before Harry Potter was well, written.
1: Well, not really because they're already in the wood and this glowing stag comes and leads them to this wood. But this is not about Harry Potter. This is about it's pretty, Dragonlance.
0: It's pretty darn close to what happens in Harry Potter.
1: I mean, it's this. yeah.
0: That's all right. We can make those comparisons. So uh all of that happens. One of the important things to note about the world, the world is called Kryn, K-R-Y-N-N, Kryn, One of the important things to know is that until Goldmoon dies and is resurrected, there are no gods on this world. So the idea is that they had the old gods who died and abandoned the world, and so there have been no priests, no priestly magic, nothing like that, which, you know, in a Dungeons and Dragons world is really, really unusual. So Goldmoon... Who has, you know, who was given this blue crystal staff, they find this ancient buried, um, you know, temple for goddess. this goddess of healing. And when she goes into the to the temple and, you know, she's pure of heart and all these other wonderful things, uh, and she sacrifices herself for the, so, so for the group so that they can kill the dragon. And the, get the
1: discs. And
0: get the discs. Well, she
1: killed the dragon, not really. Correct,
0: Yep. So she kills the dragon, they get the discs, and in sacrificing herself, the goddess reaches out, resurrects her, and makes her her priestess, making her the first priest on the planet. Now we find out later there's an evil priest that we just kind of get some hints about as well. But this whole thing about the gods is like, a huge, huge part of where the story is going to go in the future. So let's talk about what are your what's your favorite part?
1: Okay. My favorite part is, you might think this is kind of silly, but my favorite part is when Tasselhoff, he goes into the big wax dragon, and then he gets stuck in it um, to scare off, like to scare the draconians that were going to kill all his friends. Yeah. And it was kind of his fault and Flint's fault because... They drank a bunch of beer and then they got drunk and then led them and got ambushed. And then their friends got taken. And so he goes into this big wax dragon and he controls it. um, And he scares all the draconians and his friends escape. But then the dragon falls into fire um, and Tasselhoff is stuck in there. And so they come and get him out. But basically, he's still stuck in the head, so they're just dragging this be- big waxed dragon head with them into the forest. Yeah. <laughs> and they, what they do is they cut the top of the head off, um, so they can get Tasselhoff out. And like, Tasselhoff is like, "Oh my gosh, I think you cut my top knot off." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like all like ah um of that, and then he- and Sturm's like, "I'm pretty sure it's Sturm," but and he's like well, glad it's not your head. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, oh no, it's fine.
0: So yeah, the, the story is surprisingly funny. I think at this stage, they're still trying to figure this out. Like, you know, it starts off very serious. And as the book goes on, it kind of gets funnier.
1: It's like, what's happening?
0: I think they're trying to find their way. One, one thing I didn't note about this book and like how it's written is, now don't quote me on the exact time, but, Tracy Hickman had the idea for the book and the idea for the world. So right at the time that they released this novel, they also re- released like the whole adventure set and everything for Dragonlance. So the book was in part about trying to sell the game, the Dragonlance games and stuff. And he had the idea for the characters and stuff. And they had actually even played some of this is a Dungeons and Dragons game. But they wrote the novel, the first draft of the novel in like a week,
1: um i actually have this book that's all three of the books combined and it has notes um from the authors and what they say if they did play the whole thing because um when they were first like writing the first draft of it they did play like they were playing through the whole game but when they did get to the well poet with the dragon um if they did play the game, it would have been a very short book because what they did when they played the game is they lowered ta- Tannis into the well and then everyone got ate by the dragon. Yeah. So that would have been a very <laughs> short book if they did actually play the game.
0: Yeah, if they wrote it the way they played it, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so this was this novel was written very, very quickly and I I think it was very much a, a process of them trying to figure it out.
1: This is a really good book for being written in a week though. Like, yeah, well, It's I, a good I, book for being written in like, a year, if they did well, and yeah, and then book.
0: they came back and and you know did some editing and stuff, but but yeah, it really was put together very quickly, so you can sort of see the edges of it. There's a, I mean, you can tell that they're still trying to figure some of this out, uh, and it does get better in the in the subsequent books. So um, my favorite part is the gully dwarves.
1: That's one of my favorite parts,
0: you know, and it's there are sort of two big sort of comedic scenes the first one being Tasselhoff taking over the wicker dragon and, you know, and acting, he pretends he's the dragon and he scares all the draconians away. And that's pretty funny. And then there's the, in the dragon's lair and Zaxaroth, the city, there are all the gully dwarves and the gully dwarves. Basically there's a, an ancient like elevator system of lifts. It's like, just like these giant pots, like enormous pots that you can fit 10 people inside of. Um, Like, imagine, like, a cauldron that's the size of, like, your living room, and these massive chains, and they work as an elevator throughout this city, but what they have to use as a counterweight the evil draconians is they have enslaved all of these gully dwarves, and the way they counterbalance it is they just— send the gully dwarves around and put 20 of them in in one of these cauldrons and so they, be- they can come up so they can come up and then they get out so they can come down and yeah and so that's all that the gully dwarves do but the gully dwarves are funny they have super and, and and when they get in the city raceland charms a bunch of them so that they are like platonically in love with this mage and they follow him around uh, and, like and all that- and awe and do whatever he wants to do, but hilarity ensues.
1: Um, like I said before, we're gonna get into this. Boo is one of my favorite characters right after Taslahoff because she was also in the trance with Raceland but she's one of the she's the main gully dwarf. Um, so she actually helps them a lot. She actually helps them kind of kill the dragon. She helps them. If it wasn't for her, I don't think they would kill be able to kill the dragon. But um um one of my favorite parts is when they're like, Well how are we gonna get down? All of there's only the only way down is all these pots and there's a bunch of draconians there. And boo's like, No, I have a way. And she pulls out this dead rat. Yeah. <laughs> which she thinks is magic because um one day as Tasselhoff explains, she pro- like Tasselhoff's like, Oh one day she probably just went down here and stepped on the tile and it's like a trapdoor. But she, and she was holding the rat. So she's like, that's what happened. She was holding this rat one day and she walked down and stepped on a tile and it opened like this trap door and everything. Um, and it's a way to get down. And she thinks that the rat is magic. Yeah. And then she's, and then Tasselhoff is like, oh, it's not, it's just a trap door. And she's like, no, it's magic.
0: She's like, I'm the one with the magic rat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I like the gully doors quite a bit. So, uh, let's talk about your predictions. So, I can't do any predictions, although it's been, like, 30 years since I read these. I I do know, like, the big things that happen. So, I can't really make predictions, but you can make predictions. So, what are your predictions for what's going to happen next?
1: Um, well, as we kind of said, Solus is burning. They They leave at that cliffhanger, um... And so my prediction, I kind of already kind of know that my prediction is right. Because when you said that it was the part two, I was like, oh, well, I got to read the whole second book now. And so I flipped to it and the first chapter was kind of like explained that my prediction was right. Um, But I think Solus is burning um, and they've met this dragon thingy. And um, we kind of go into the dragon's mind and she talk and it's about... And, she know, like we learn about this bigger dragon, like dragon high lord kind of, and um, that there's a bunch of other dragons that are going to come and everything. Um, and so Solus is burning, right? Dragons breathe fire, right? Yep. yep, yep. So I'm pretty sure that a dragon swept down and now is burning Solus, and the, um, everyone's going to come and then they're going to kill the dragon and be heroes. Okay. And not be hunted. And the reason I know it's right is because the next chapter is some, has something about dragons.
0: Ah, okay. Do you have any other predictions?
1: Um, I feel like they're going to, like, yeah, they're going to kill the dragon, and then um, they're not going to be, hu- like, um, as we know, they can't kind of, like, return to Solus that much because the Blue Crystal Staff is being hunted, and they're wanted to die um and so i feel like then they're gonna become heroes and then they're gonna have everyone else is gonna like come and help them and they're gonna um use the discs to defeat the dragons and they're gonna sense they're probably gonna kill the dragon and then everyone in Solace is gonna help them and as dad stated um there's a bunch of these draconians that are forming armies um and they're gonna and i think that they're gonna have a war and then they're gonna battle and Okay, well, obviously, everyone on the good side, like Tanis and Tasselhoff, they're all gonna win. It's kind of obvious because if they didn't, then everyone would hate the book because they didn't <laughs> win. Because the good guys always win, basically.
0: Well, I think in this series, you're probably right, but we we will have to see.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, you know what? We didn't ask. Okay. I, I meant to ask you. Do you have any? Do you have any parts you didn't like? Or was it all pretty much good? Or at least okay? Um,
1: I definitely liked all the books. One of the poets I didn't like um, was when they were like, um, Flint was talking kind of bad about the gully dwarfs. And he was like, oh, these gully dwarfs are trash. I don't like them.
0: Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. that was probably a low light for sure. Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you. Flint, Flint's not really my favorite character.
1: Yeah, I don't really like him because he doesn't like Boo Boo. Also, one of my I did not like when Boo Boo went away or when Gold Moon died. Those were really sad.
0: All right, would you? Who would you recommend this book for?
1: I would. Well,
0: Well, I should ask you. I shouldn't assume. Would you recommend this book to people? Yes. Okay.
1: I would recommend this book to anyone who loves D &D and D in the first place. Or if you if you've never played D and D, you have no idea what we're talking about or what D and D is. Um, read the books because it's awesome. I would recommend this book to anyone who loves fantasy, dragons, adventure, all kinds of stuff, just like magic and stuff like that.
0: It's very action filled. Like they're they're never they're never sitting around. Like they're always on the go. That's for sure. Are there any ages you would recommend? Like, like how young do you think would be the youngest? And well, go ahead.
1: I st- I am quite young. Like I'm a tween. Um, I would recommend for any ages, but um, not like um younger than I feel like younger than a tweenish. Like, I would agree because I don't think they would like, even I kind of had a hard time understanding some of the parts. Um But yeah, I feel like if even younger than me, like, um, well, one, everyone like that age is mostly like reading like chapter books still or like picture books. Um, if you're not, then that's good for you. If you're really, if you're like five and reading Harry Potter
0: yeah, yeah, hey, that would good outstanding. job. Good job for
1: you. Good for you. I've started reading big books at an early age too, but I feel like I would recommend this for like teens, tweens, kind of. Not anyone really younger than that because they would not understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but
0: and I read these books when I was like I said, 14, 15 years old. I do think that you know your age is probably the youngest
1: because that somebody could read um, probably
0: starting at ten ish is um, probably the youngest because
1: honestly i am one of the top of my classroom reading because i started um because i have older siblings that like my older sister she would read warrior cats and my older brother he read pussy jackson and so i was really young and i had nothing to do um because i didn't have like i wasn't on technology that much because I was so young and so I started reading just like books like that um and so I was like really young when I started reading like thick chapter books I feel like I was I feel like I just kind of like this year last year I got into reading bigger books like in third grade maybe um I got into reading Wings of Fire which they are decently big thick books um but yeah I definitely started reading book books at an early age. So that is one of the reasons that I've read this. Um, But yeah, I would definitely recommend this for like teens that love fantasy.
0: Yeah, the um, one thing I'll say about the books is that this predates the idea of like, young adult, like YA novels, and that sort of category, mid mid grade, you know, meant for for late elementary, middle school age. This predates that sort of classification. They didn't, they, they weren't, people weren't thinking about things that way in it was 1984. Just
1: an adult book. Like there's adult books and there's kid books.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is written as an adult book, but it really is very much in the YA mid-grade kind of range. Yeah. Like I think it works really well as a YA as a YA series. Except that because it wasn't written that way, there's still some pretty tough vocabulary in it. Yeah,
1: there's, there's definitely There's some big
0: words and things that pop up in there, which is the only thing that, you know, I think if it was written again today, It would be clearly marketed as a YA book and it would be, you wouldn't have as many of those Well,
1: they actually did say, um, because I had the notes at the end, um, the authors did say that they were told that they should like lower the vocabulary because there will probably be younger readers reading this book and they were like, well, we believe in our readers and we believe that they can understand this. So um, this is how we wrote it. We do not want to change it. And so, yeah, they did say, like, it has big vocabulary in it. It's for older readers.
0: Yep, but I think, it, I think it's a good book, you know, to look back on it in time. I, you know, I think we would classify this as a mid-grade or YA-type novel, and I think it reads well for that audience. That would be my uh, recommendation. But, hey, I think we uh, we're coming up on almost an hour, if you can believe it, So, this is way longer, I think, than either of us thought it would be. So,
1: I don't, I'm not very good at keeping track of time.
0: I think you, well, it's only because I have a clock in front of me that I can say that. And I'm sure by the time we edit it down, it'll come in at less than an hour. But I think this is a good first installment. So, we'll revisit this again when we read part two of Dragons of Autumn Twilight. And that'll be the end of the first novel. And then, what do you say? We just, at each part, you know, we'll we'll resume this. I don't know if there's, I feel like there's more parts in some of the other books, so this will probably, we'll probably finish the trilogy over six, seven, eight parts over time, yeah. you know, however long it takes us to I get What I love is
1: that this is such a coincidence because both the times that I've shown up on this podcast as Furiosa, because I am Furiosa, we're not, um, but... The only two times that I've shown up on this were both times that we've been discussing D&D.
0: Well, you're a big fan of it, so I think that makes sense. So the last thing I'm going to ask you, and we'll close the podcast with this, is how would you compare these books to Percy Jackson and Wings of Fire? I haven't read those books, like whereas I've read some of the harry potter stuff i haven't read them all but i understand kind of what that's about but i haven't read percy jackson i haven't read wings of fire so i need you to kind of give me some insight on on what where are they alike where are they different how do you Um, compare them
1: i wouldn't really compare this to i would kind of like kind of compare it but there's another book series that i have in mind like that i would definitely compare this to it's um well it's two book series it um the book series that i would compare this to is the immortals book series okay. um but it's basic and the, the lioness quartet series um which are both kind of like in the like in this kind of time date sort of like okay back in the um but it's like about magic and like fighting and like warriors and stuff it's um i would compare i would compare it because it's like all, like, that magic stuff, like sorcerers, mages, all that. Um, and there's a bunch of, like, warriors and fighting. And there's, like, a bunch of, like, um, different races, like, um, kind of, yeah, like, all kinds of that. And then there's a bunch of, like, monsters and dragons um, and difficult tasks that the characters have to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would discompare it because the characters in this book are much younger and much less experienced because the main character in the mortal series is a 15 year old girl who can turn into animals and talk to animals and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And the main person in the Linus of the Quartet is like um, basically a girl who was like started when she was like 11 and like it ends when she was like 2018 that um, pretended to be a boy so she could become a knight and she was planning on when she was 18 and became a knight to say, oh, I'm a girl. And that's kind of what she did. Um, so that's how I would just compare it. I would not compare it to Rings of Fire. The only comparison that I would have is there's humans and there's dragons in it. But it's more, it's always in the dragon's point of view. And mm. the dragons, um, they call the humans scavengers because they've got like little towns and they're all like hiding from the dragons and everything. Um, but the dragons are like, they act like humans, like, cause that's kind of like, they were like, it's in the dragon's mind. They act like humans and they've got like palaces and everything. So they're like kind of different than now, um, than dragons in D&D. Um, Percy Jackson, um, there's magic in it. Like both of them kind of like fighting action, but Um, And there's, like, gods, I guess. But Percy Jackson is all about demigods, and, like, Percy Jackson has a demigod and stuff. So it's not, like, super related. But, like, it's all, like, kind of in that fantasy magic creature. Mm. Like, there's a bunch of, like, there's dragons in all of the books and stuff like that.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for recording with me. I very much appreciate your time and perspective. I'm enjoying... Uh, reading a book with you, that we get to sort of read something together at the same time and compare notes. So so this was a lot of fun. What do you say we do it again? Yeah. All right, good. Well, you can find uh, more of the Duke and Duchess on our Twitter at the DND Podcast on Facebook by looking up the Duke and Duchess and join our Facebook group page where you can discuss this episode and all of our other episodes at facebook.com slash group slash the uh, DND Podcast group. So thank you, everyone. Good night.
1: Bye. Good night.